If you have your copy of God's word, uh, would you uh, turn to Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel chapter one, and we're gonna be looking at verses 18 through 25, uh, obviously the, about the birth of Christ and uh, examining that as you're finding your place there. Um, it was uh, quite difficult this morning. I know it's the Lord's day and a Sunday, uh, but to change out of my sweatpants and my pajamas uh, to come to... The church today, uh, I see the South Halls, or at least half of them, uh, wore their PJs to church. And uh, uh, mark my words, the next time uh, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, uh, we're going to be encouraging everybody uh, to wear their PJs to church and come uh, as comfortable um, as possible. Several months ago, I'm in a, a group thread with a couple of pastor friends, and uh, everybody starts asking, what are you doing uh, for Christmas? Christmas Eve falls on a Saturday, uh, Christmas Day on a Sunday. And I, I watched sort of the back and forth uh, go between uh, what churches were doing and not doing. Some were, were not having services today. They were counting the Christmas Eve service as the time. Uh, and the chat sort of went back and forth uh, between all of these pastors. And, uh, and one of them made this statement. He said, yeah, it's, it's such an inconvenience to have uh, Christmas Day on a Sunday. Uh, wherein then like all 14 or 15 of them were like, amen to this. And, uh, and they began to talk back and forth. And it got me thinking a lot about uh, the inconvenience, perhaps, that some uh, might feel today. You know, this, this week is, is one of the busier weeks uh, for many pastors and many musicians. Uh, and, it, and it comes to show that even within weeks like this, in the midst of preparing and the busyness and, and the hurry of, of, from parties and, and gifts uh, to preparing for services like that, um, we just sort of, as, as an Erickson family, experienced something uh, that was quite inconvenient, that didn't have anything to do really with Sunday, but, but on Christmas week, uh, you talk about if you're going to preach on inconvenience, the Lord's going to make you experience uh, inconvenience as a family. And so uh, beginning on, on Sunday... Uh, of last week, uh, uh, one of my kids got pretty severely sick, and thank goodness for doctors and, and medicine, and so we uh, nursed him back to health, if you will, this, this week. Uh, my, my wife had a procedure done, uh, and it wasn't anything major, uh, but it sort of put her down for a couple of days, uh, and then, uh, then I got sick uh, with something that was very contagious, and, and it put me down for three or four days, and so uh, we just sort of walked through this, this season, if you will, this past week where it just wasn't a really good week for the Ericsons. Now, I'm not telling you that for, for any kind of pity or anything like that, but the idea behind it is we have a story in Matthew's gospel about a character that understood what it meant to put up with inconvenience. And he's often overlooked in, in all the Bible, and what I want to do today is I want to focus just for a few moments on the, on the life of Joseph the spouse that was in the Christmas story that often doesn't get talked about too much. And so in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, follow along with me as we read just the first two verses and then we'll, we'll stop for a moment and then continue. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, not the, the most upbeat uh, way to start a, a Christmas message, to talk about a, a couple in the midst of what appears to be infidelity, and then the husband's response in the midst of this is, 
well, obviously and clearly we're, we can't be together, and obviously it's time to, to divorce and, and whatnot. But I want you to notice, if you're not familiar with it, this word in verse 18, betrothed, and what that actually means in the context of the time of Mary and Joseph. You see, one of the reasons why you would have a couple that would be betrothed, it was almost like an engagement that was required to take place in the couple. But, but this engagement, it was a little bit more than, than an engagement. It, it was really as if they were married, but they didn't get all of the other benefits that come along with being married. And so they could not be physical with one another. And so for an entire year, they, they had to separate, but it was as if they were married. Now, one of the things about this time in the life of Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus is that oftentimes this was required because what would happen is that the groom's family would pay what is known as a bridal fee or a bridal price. And so if your son wants to marry this woman over here, you would come to that family and you would offer uh, some sort of, of financial incentive. But, but here's the, the catch. It was the mom and dad of the daughter that got to pick the, the groom uh, uh, who they would marry and vice versa. So these were arranged marriages, mostly within the time of Jesus. It's one of the, the 500 reasons that I am so glad that I didn't live in the time of Mary and Joseph so that my parents did not have the ability to pick and decide who my wife was gonna be. Now the benefit would actually be this, that if you lived in the time of Mary and Joseph, if you had daughters, and I have three of them, and I am all for this, that they would come and they would offer a bridal price and they would pay the mom and dad of the daughter. Now, there's some incentive to that. But Mary and Joseph went into this betrothal time for a year. And the reason was they, the family wanted to make sure that, that the bride in particular in this time, a different time and a, and a different day, they wanted to make sure that she was pure and, and undefiled, if you will, uh, in the eyes of, of the world before they actually entered into holy matrimony. Now you can imagine when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now, according to Levitical law in this moment, Joseph, uh, he had every right to, to stone her to death. But he could have had her put to death in the midst of this, but it says that Joseph was a man unwilling, he was just and unwilling to put her to shame, so instead he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, you can imagine the scene in the scenario just for a moment. Mary comes to Joseph and they had not been physically intimate in any way, and she says, I'm, I'm with child. And Joseph's response would have been just like yours or mine. Well, well what do you mean? And when she says, I'm, I've conceived by the, by the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, you and I, and, and probably Joseph, would, would eye roll there for a minute and, and turn and, and probably do the same thing. Right, uh, you, you conceived a child, under the, the authority of the, of the Holy Spirit, if you will, did he, did he also send down some, some unicorns and some trolls to, to come alongside that? It, it makes no sense, humanly speaking. And so Joseph, being just, resolved to not put her to shame, he divorces her, seeks to divorce her quietly. Look back in the text in verse 20, it goes on and he says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, as he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded, he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and, and he called his name Jesus. And the question that's before us this morning is really a simple one, I think. The question is, why, why on earth would God choose to go about his business and his kingdom and his glory? Why, why would he do it in, in such a peculiar way? Meaning that in the midst of this, as, as the word gets out that, that Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another, and word gets out around the town and, and with the family that Mary is, is with child, but, but they're not actually officially supposed to be doing any of that, it, it would have utterly ruined them as people. It would have ruined their, their reputation. You can imagine just for the moment the, the, the shame perhaps that would come and, and the whispers that would come behind their back as people begin to talk and people begin to say things. And, and as far as we know, there was no vindication in Mary and Joseph's life really until the New Testament comes about 30 or 40 years later where we begin to see really who Mary is according to the word. Why would God go and do all these things? Well, I think one of the primary reasons is that Joseph is not just this inspiring figure that we're supposed to look at, that, that he does these remarkable things, but, but rather I think Joseph is, is really a compelling example for us right here and right now based upon how he reacted or rather how he, how he didn't react. What does following Jesus, in essence, look like in the life of Joseph? And what do we glean and, and what do we learn? I think first and foremost with Joseph's life, rightfully he, he could have uh, put her to death. He, he could have quietly divorced her and all those things, yet the angel appears and, and he walks. And so I think it teaches us the first thing for us today that we learn from Joseph is simply the idea of trust and obedience. To trust in the word of the Lord, to hear the word of the Lord, to, to hear the, the angel, if it was, that, if it were, that speaks to Joseph in this sense, that we as a people, we, we have an obligation to, to trust in his word, and then most importantly, we, we obey that word. Joseph, he obeyed what the word of the Lord told him. Joseph had to believe something that was utterly impossible for the moment. That your wife was, was miraculously pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he risked everything in this moment. His, his reputation, his ability to earn income later on. The, the, the idea that all was ruined in that moment, yet Joseph trusted him and Joseph obeyed. Listen to me, friends. You, you don't trust and obey if Jesus is just your preference. The only way that you trust and obey is if you believe that he is resurrected from the dead and the power that comes in the gospel and that God really actually is who he says he is. This is what compels the people of God. Believing God, 
at his word and, and trusting that word and then walking in a, in a rhythm, walking in a posture where we obey all those things, following Jesus and not playing with religion meant absolute trust for Joseph in the unseen God. And the God that he, that he couldn't touch and, and see and the God that, that he was just believing and, and calling upon his name and, and seeking to walk in, in faithfulness. Number two, I think the life of Joseph tells us not just to trust and obey, but I think he teaches us about self-denial. He teaches us about self-denial. I want you to notice if you go back to verse 25 in your text. And it tells us in verse 25 that Joseph didn't know Mary until after the birth of Jesus. Now what does that mean? He, he wasn't uh, in a relationship with her, they didn't have conversations, or they didn't date. No, what this means is, is that Joseph was never physically intimate with his wife until after Jesus was born. So not only did he go through the betrothal period with his wife, he waited an additional year to do that. So he waited actually a year longer than all of the other couples in the, this context that, that Mary and Joseph grew up in. For, for two years he, he waited. What this teaches us is that we as Christians, we, we live in a posture of self-denial. That there are some times that God is going to bring us to places where, where we say no to certain things that we desire to, to know and we desire to want. Listen, there are people this holiday season that are going to be guilty of running up large tabs on their credit cards, buying gifts and buying presents that they cannot afford because they did not practice a posture of self-denial. Following Jesus means denying yourself some things that you might otherwise Enjoy. Thirdly, the life of Joseph teaches us not just about trust and obey or self-denial, but a willingness to embrace inconvenience in our life. The life of Joseph teaches us that as Christians, there are times where we embrace inconvenience in our lives, in particular for the sake of his name. That God asks us to, to do things that are, that are deeply inconvenient. He asks us to, to go to places that are deeply inconvenient, to talk to people that are deeply inconvenient, to serve people that are deeply inconvenient, to minister to people when it is deeply inconvenient in our lives. This, uh, this whole story and this narrative, it, it complicated Joseph's life. It was deeply inconvenient for him, yet he trusted, yet he obeyed, yet he denied himself, and he followed Jesus. Serving Jesus is rarely convenient convenient, but it is always worth it. Isn't that that's so true? That it is, it is easy to do things for the, for the sake of Christ, to do things for the sake of his kingdom, to do things for the sake of his church when it's convenient. The difficulty lies when when we have to do things when the timing doesn't quite line up or it perhaps doesn't match our, our preference or our wish or our, our want, serving Jesus is deeply inconvenient at times, but it is always worth it. Now the second question that I wanna put before us this morning just briefly is not just what does following Jesus look like in the life of Joseph, but where does the strength come from in the midst of that to, to trust and obey, to deny yourself, to embrace the inconvenience? And, and I think there are two words for us that exist here within this text. Number one is the reminder of a kept promise. 
And what I mean by that is I want you to look back at, at verse 23. Where we see in verse 23, we see a direct quote and a direct reference from a text that we looked at not too long ago. Behold the virgin, Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This quote in verse 23, directly lifted from Isaiah 7:14, it was given over 700 years before this moment in this day. And it was given to a, a really wicked king that did a lot of really evil things, a king by the name of King Ahaz. And Ahaz was confused in, in every which way. The armies of Syria had surrounded his kingdom. They had attacked him and they, they had sought to destroy him. And, and he, he was a wicked man. And at one point, he calls out to God and he says, God, help me. My enemies surround me, even though I've done all these horrible things. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah. And he sends Isaiah, and, and Isaiah basically asks him in the context of this conversation between Ahaz and Isaiah, do, do you want a sign? And, and Ahaz, for a lot of reasons, says, no, I don't want the sign. And Isaiah says, well, you're going to get a sign anyway. It doesn't matter that you don't want it. God says he's going to give it to you, and he's going he's to prophesy in this moment. And so there we have Isaiah 7:14, and, and in this moment, in this text in Matthew, we have the fulfillment of a 700-year-old promise. And I think the reminder for us as Christians this morning is that God never forgets his promises. He never goes back on his promises. He is always faithful. He is always trustworthy. He is always there. He always does what he says he's going to do. In the life of his people and in your life individually, he's never gone back on his word. He's never contradicted himself in any way, and he doesn't do that in the life of Mary and in the life of Joseph. And so Joseph is compelled, and Joseph begins to realize, we begin to realize that God always keeps his promises. I don't know what you're praying for God to do in your life this morning. I don't know what season of life that you're in in this moment, but you can be assured and you can be reminded, just as Joseph was, and we are in Matthew's gospel, that God always keeps his promises to the very end. But the second thing that he does, and I think the strength that it comes to, to all these things, the inconvenience and the self-denial and trusting and obeying is not just remembering the promises, but understanding the name that God gives to his people. In verse 23 and, and in verse 25, we see these two names that are given to God. The first is, is Emmanuel. He, as he quotes Isaiah, he, he references Emmanuel. And it always confused me when I began to, when I came to faith in Christ and I would study and you'd go, well, is his name Jesus and his middle name Christ and his friends call him Emmanuel? Like what actually is his name and, and what is the significance of these names that, that exist here in this moment? Well, what we do know is this, that Jesus, the name Jesus means God saves us. And the name Jesus, it indicates what Jesus does. He saves us. He saves us from what? Not our enemies that surround us, not the conflict always that we're in, but, but what the promise is, is that Jesus saves us from our sin. 
that our sin is the thing that has separated us from the Father and that we needed someone to come and to reconcile and to redeem. And so when in Matthew's gospel, when Mary and Joseph, they say his name will be Jesus, they will call him Jesus because God saves us. Well, then why does Isaiah prophesy and say his name will be Emmanuel? Well, the distinction there is that Emmanuel was was who he was. Emmanuel means God with us. And so the contrast here is is these two names are not opposed to one another, but rather they complement one another. Jesus indicates what he does. Emmanuel indicates who he is, God with us. So the God who saves us is now the God who is with us as his people. The God that saves us from our sins, Jesus, he is also Emmanuel, meaning he is with his people. And so I think one of the most compelling arguments in all of the scripture that should motivate us as a a people of God to trust him, to obey him, to deny ourselves, to to walk in places that, that are deeply inconvenient of time is that we remember the promises that he has given, that he is always faithful, always true, but then we remember that he is God with us. Yes, he is holy, and yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is separate from us, but he has given the name Emmanuel because he is with us, because he is near to his people. Because he is with us in this season. He is with us during this holiday as we separate it. It's in those two names that Joseph then gets this picture of the, of the glory of God. God saves us because he is near to us. And he's near to us because he is willing to save us. My hope is this morning and this season that the Lord brings you peace in your heart. That he brings you peace in your home and and peace in your conflict, peace in your relationship. That he gives you rest today as we celebrate the birth of our beloved Savior because he is is worthy of all of our attention. He is worthy of all our affection. He is worthy of all of our our time. He is worthy of all our devotion. Would you pray with me? Father, you do save us and redeem us. You have given us the promise that you are with us and that you are near us. Thank you for for being our Emmanuel. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for being our wonderful counselor, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Thank you for being the Alpha and the Omega, no beginning, no end. Thank you for being eternal, Father. There was was never a time when you were not. Thank you for being immutable to us, that you never change your ways. Thank you for always fulfilling your promises in our lives and according to your word and according to your holy scripture. Father, thank you for being sovereign over this church and sovereign over these families. We pray that you would demonstrate that sovereignty and that might and that goodness. Thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, thank you for sending your son and putting him to death, putting him to shame so that our shame and our condemnation would be buried with him and that we would rise just as he where there would be no shame and there would be no condemnation where you made the unrighteous righteous, 
where you made the weak strong, you made the dead alive. And so Father, we celebrate that this morning. We rejoice that Mary conceived and brought forth Jesus so that in this moment and this day, anyone who would call upon his name would be saved. And so we pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen.